Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hi, everyone. Um, in this session, we're going to discuss whether there is a benefit to using immunotherapy in patients uh, with PDL1 negative tumors that are uh, resectable. And I was thinking maybe we could go to Dr. Cottrell first. Typically, PDL1 is going to be tested in resected patients who have stage two or three tumors. Um, there's a big question about whether we need to be doing PDL1 testing in resectable patients who are just getting their biopsies. Um, and, and is this an important uh, piece of information for us to use uh, when we first take contact with the patient as surgeons and oncologists? So maybe your thoughts on that. Is there a difference between the PDL1 from a small needle biopsy versus a resected specimen? And are there some emerging biomarkers that you can talk to us about that, that we might be helpful down the road? That's a great question. Thanks. So I there are um it's well known that PDL1 can be heterogeneous. And um, I'll highlight that in lung cancer, when we score PDL1, we're specifically looking at PDL1 on the tumor cells. And tumor cell expression of PDL1 can mean one of two things. It can mean that there is an active immune response. There's interferon gamma and it's upregulating PDL1. And that's a hot tumor. That's a patient that's likely to respond. Um, the other option is that there could be a genomic or epigenomic alteration that just results in upregulation of PDL1. So PDL1 expression is more nuanced, um, and it's not just in the tumor cells, but also in the immune cells. So, um, you know, I'll, rather than going on about the mechanism, I'll refer to my other episodes about biomarkers. In terms of uh, testing biopsies versus resection specimens, I, my bias is to test them all. Uh, obviously in a biopsy, you get much less tissue. So if the pattern of expression is heterogeneous, you're likely to miss it. Uh, assessing PDL one in a resection specimen. I don't think there are great studies that tell us, uh, what level of expression is actually meaningful in that setting, because most of the studies have been done in advanced disease where we get a biopsy. So I think you can see heterogeneous patterns of expression in a resection specimen, and we don't actually know what that means. You could imagine if a portion of the tumor had an anti-tumor immune response and pdl one expression, that may be enough um, to indicate response to the therapy. So I think PDL1 is a really important biomarker. It clearly enriches for response, and there's a clear and consistent association with high PDL1 expression predicting better responses. Um, but it's it's sort of our version 1.0 biomarker. And I think there's going to be a lot of space for next generation biomarkers that actually capture the complexity of the tumor microenvironment. So not just looking at what's going on with the tumor cells, but also what's going on with the immune cells. And I think approaches like multiplex immunohistochemistry or immunofluorescence are going immunofluorescence are going to be well-suited to uh, to really capture that complexity and give us a much more nuanced picture of what's happening in a given tumor. That's, that's really great. Obviously, not, not a simple subject. And uh, with that in mind, Dr. Ford, uh, when, you, when you're when you seeing a patient in clinic, perhaps has had an EBUS that uh, that sampled a 4R node for a right upper lobe tumor, looks, your surgeon tells you this is operable. How does the, the PDL1 fit into your decision tree? Uh, how are you managing that information given the options that are open to that patient? Yeah, well, I think so. At this very moment, we have two perioperative immunotherapy options. One is, is preoperative chemo, nivolumab, 
The other is post-operative um, chemotherapy followed by a tezolizumab for PDO one high or PDO one positive disease, one percent or more. And those are the options in the U.S. at this moment. Um, and the way I approach it really is I, I have a discussion with the patient about so are they someone who will receive chemotherapy and and I discuss the benefit of chemotherapy, which we should remember just so is the only therapy at the moment. At this uh, talking here in, at the beginning of November twenty twenty two is the only therapy for early stage lung cancer systemic, which improves um, overall survival. Now we may change that soon. Um, so I discussed that benefit of chemo and is it something they'll do? And if it's something they'll do, my personal preference, especially for stage 3A disease is to prefer neoadjuvant chemo IO and also for pdl one negative disease, because I know at the moment I don't have an adjuvant immunotherapy option for pdl one negative disease. Now, that may change in the coming months because we do have the PEARLS data, as Dr. Peters discussed in detail in another episode, where there was a benefit or an apparent benefit in PDL1 negative disease. But at this moment, for PDL1 negative, I will seriously consider neoadjuvant chemo IO with the caveats that we need to know their EGFR status and ALK status for non squamous. Um, but it's a, it's a complex discussion. There are other differences, for example, sh- duration of therapy. Uh, toxicity. We didn't see much toxicity when we added nivolumab to neoadjuvant chemo, uh, much additional toxicity. We saw chemotox. And in the adjuvant setting, we do definitely, because it's a longer course of therapy, we see um, more immune toxicity. So it's it's a complex discussion, but those are my general thoughts. Stage 3A, irrespective of pdl one I will favor neoadjuvant if there isn't an EGF or ALK. Stage two disease, I will look at the PDL1 to degree. And I'll say to a patient, if your PDL1 is 100%, the main thing we have to be sure is you get some, immune, uh, uh, some immunotherapy. If it's much lower or negative, um, then I probably favor the neoadjuvant approach. That's great. Uh, Dr. Peters, on, do, you, do you share the, the same views? Any, any um, uh, edits you would bring to that perspective? or, or uh, and, and then maybe as a follow-up to that, um, do you see trials in this space? Do you think that, the, and maybe what are the, the things that are that you foresee emerging in the, the PDL1 low um, setting? So there, there are many trials to come, which will complete this picture of trying to, of course, uh, replicate uh, uh, and uh, and kind of confirm the benefit of immunotherapy in neoadjuvant, perioperative or adjuvant settings. This one, I'm sure will confirm coming from stage four disease, there are some differences between these compounds, but the differences are not major. So what I mean is we are a little betrayed by subgroups. Think about the PEARLS trial with Pembro and atezolizumab, depending on the size of your subgroup and maybe some incidentally found confounders, right? Multiplicity of some things you look at when you look at subgroups. It might be that some small subgroups read differently. I would probably try to superimpose all the evidence we have instead of canceling, right? You know what I mean? If PERS is telling you it's valid across strata of PDL1 in stage 1B to 3A, it might be the case for many compounds. It's just a question of how you look. The most important question to me is really there is potentially a difference between neoadjuvant and adjuvant because you're doing something different, right? You're doing something different in terms of tumor biology, addressing the immune system in different times before, after surgery with a clonal or subclonal tumor and so on and so forth. So I think here that may be the main question, neoadjuvant, adjuvant, perioperative, 
at some point we might want to run a trial to understand the best sequence of things. The second set of trials I'd like to understand is the how long and how much. We all would be confident to say that the pathological complete response might be the end of your treatment. I don't know. I don't know what is the quality of a PCR in lung cancer. I know in melanoma a little bit, but I don't know in lung cancer. So there will be a whole question about how to customize the next steps after you have performed surgery. Is it based on pathological response, circulating tumor DNA, once we will have good methodologies to look at it? So all this question of sustainability, right? How long, how much will be for me the second thing? So two questions, sequencing, and, and, and how long and how much. I think we need the academic words to do these trials. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and, and, you know, just that uh, we have gl glimmers of cross-trial comparisons with the Dr. Provencio's presentation at the World Lung on uh, Nadim 2, where they were the, those six cycles of adjuvant uh, nivolumab after chemo nivolumab. And the PCR curve in, in that group is 100%, right? For, for what it's not totally mature, but are there some patients who are salvaged by that adjuvant portion that, that might not have been if they had just got a new adjuvant? It's a great question. Okay, well, I think that, that you know, gives us a, a good perspective on this uh, important subgroup of patients who, uh, who probably need more things uh, for them uh, and maybe some uh, interesting avenues for the future. Thank you very much. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.